This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, where we're going, we don't need roads. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me to recap an 80s classic. This is our uh, show about Back to the Future. We finally got around to it. And, of course, we've got a new helping of the fresh shit, our section where we talk about uh, things we've been watching, reading, whatever, uh, in the last week or so. So, as always, check the show notes if you want to find the things that interest you most. Uh, Please rate the show, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, share it on your social feeds. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. We're on Facebook. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We're on Instagram. You can email show ideas to us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and find all all of our old episodes on our website, maghuge.com. That's M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. All right. This is getting heavy, but weight has nothing to do with it. Great, Scott. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. <laughs> and we are still magnificently huge. Yes. We are. And we continue. In our own minds. Let's dismiss yes. with the introductions. I'm Brian. Who are you? I'm Eric. Uh, this is Chris. Hey, we did it. All Yay. right. What's been going on, guys? How you doing? <laughs> this has been quite a week. Quite a week since our last get Ow. together. You all right, Eric? Yeah. Yeah, you... yeah sorry. I, I, uh, I hurt my shoulder uh, throwing a ball for the dog. And uh, <laughs> so I'm going to be like going, ow, just, right. just randomly. So Eric's what? on the injury. How was... Yeah, how was your weird week? Oh, well, we watched the justice system turn even further into just, you know, the propaganda arm of the White House. Uh, so that was depressing. And uh, they've shut down my wife's unit at the hospital because the whole hospital's been taken over with COVID because we're in Arizona. And, you know, it's just a normal week here in 2020. Everything's pretty much boring and the same. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. This week in dystopia, yeah, that's like every week we start the show. It's it's always we've got a complaint about something related to that. Yeah, I like that uh, that our our POTUS took a cognitive test and aced it apparently, but nowhere did anybody around him go. You know, it's probably not a good thing when they make you take a cognitive test. And uh, yeah, the fact that you can pass one is not something to crow about. <laughs> And yet he's been taking a leadership test all year and failing and failing yeah. and failing. Well, I will note so, that this is the, the this is the day after he got a bunch of press for finally wearing a mask in public, and I'm wondering if it had anything to do with his cognitive test. That was just the correlation <laughs> that I came up with. So yeah, yeah it's uh, a weird week as always. It's a weird year. Uh, I can't wait for 2021. Yep. Remember, register and vote. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way this is gonna this is gonna end yeah. is if you register 
and vote. Yeah, there's 12 I'd, stages. I'd say take it further. Yeah. You have to assume that there's going to be coronavirus in November, guys. So figure it out. When yeah. is your registration deadline? What's your plan? Are you planning to take the day off? Have you requested the time off? Are you planning to vote from home? Yeah. Do you have that all set up? Are you sure you're on the voter roll? <laughs> Don't take any of this shit for granted, yeah. folks. Think and it through, strategize, be prepared. And if you need a ride to the polls, uh, just text me. I'm, I'm yeah, there. Seriously. So, yeah. So there's 12 stages of, uh, of whatever, recovery. What stage are we in? Um, what's the what? one there's where you 12 stages of recovery? Curl up in a ball, sucking your thumb <laughs> and puking know. all over yourself? Yeah, That's okay. the one. No, yeah. I think we're in the stage called the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. This is our segment where we talk about what we've been watching or reading or doing or something. Yeah. Chris, you sound yeah. excited about fresh shit. What do you got? Oh, nothing. Uh, you <laughs> bastard. But I did. <laughs> no, I've been reading mostly this week. I picked up the second part of the really awful Elf Stones of Shannara trilogy, whatever. Like, there's the Sword of Shannara, <laughs> which I thing, read. The Elf Stones the, of Shannara? The second one is called The Elf Stones of Shannara. I, I can't the one tell I'm shit from Shannara. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so I've been reading that because I haven't read it since I was in, like, seventh grade uh, when I was deep into my D&D phase. And, uh, I think it's been 20 years since I was listening to Shannara Twain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's really what I've been doing. But uh, what I want to talk about is I did find finally found where i could stream it again uh danger five so i've been watching that i never did get back to that when they go to high school but i am still <laughs> yeah well very... it's yeah it's on a uh, roku has an app called shout factory tv which also has a website oh, fun. uh so they okay. do all these like weird culty old school whatever and so they finally acquired Danger Five, which for those Explain not Danger Five yeah, to the audience, for those what not in the Danger know, Five, it's an Australian-based show done. Uh, I guess like 2012 is when it first came out. It's done by two of the guys that had a hand in Italian Super Spider-Man. So if you've ever seen Italian Spider-Man, you kind of have a f- an idea of the flavor. But basically, Danger Five is done like a like a crack allied squad of super spies set in World War II, but it's done. As though it were made in the pulp spy 60s genre. Uh, so they use a lot of really shitty models and sets, and everything is very anachronistic and doesn't make a lick of sense. And every episode is the Third Reich involved with some weird plan to take over the world by building uh, like a giant robot out of all of the monuments of the world or by turning Allied soldiers into Japanese kamikaze pilots uh like making weapons out of gold because they're somehow better uh so every episode is this crack squad going after the nazis and their main goal is always is to kill hitler damn well kill hitler yeah (laughs) and it's all of like and their boss is a a man with an eagle yeah that's never explained colonel chestbridge Uh, but it's all yeah, that's the best is how nothing is explained <laughs> yeah. and they all just take it in fact i mean it's it's perfect it's basically to me it's like if uh like thunderbirds the jerry anderson thing with the puppets was done with real life actors but it was done like they do wild wild west 
where it's just the obviously a 60s <laughs> like thing but well, set in this like season is the 80s it's yeah. like it's made in the 80s right yeah and the they, second season again, the, no explanation yeah and they've got like time travel uh so i'm i'm about to start the second season which looks fun cuz i barely remember it but i guess the penultimate episode of the whole series is one called back to the fuhrer where they actually go back, <laughs> they go back in time to World War II, and then they meet their their former selves. So it's very much like a Back to the Future Two kind of thing. Uh, oh man! So that's I'm looking forward to. But yeah, it's, the whole thing is just ridiculous. It's got like the the hardcore macho American dude. Uh, then you've got the the English proper uh, spy who's very prim, and she's like the smartest one but she's always getting shit on by the rest of the group uh yeah. like like some form of casual sexism you've got the australian commando guy who's also kind of dim-witted and proper and he likes to read stuff called uh what the hell was it called it was uh oh god yeah yeah i, 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 I can't remember, remember there being memes about this guy yeah he's every every show he's reading a different book than the and the cover of the book is a joke yeah uh yeah but it's like uh, I don't know, uh, random chuckle. I mean, it's just some weird shit. And then there's the sexpot Russian commando girl, uh, who basically has sex with everyone and just doesn't give a shit. And then like the weird, uh, like French underground guy named Pierre, who's also the bartender, and he's my favorite because most every episode yeah. he like runs into just some <laughs> rando who always knows him from some past adventure and every person he runs into ends up dying horribly and then on their their last breath give him a recipe for some cocktail <laughs> it's like every episode right. is the same thing <laughs> the magazine is called it's Sensible like Chuckle, the makers right? Sensible Chuckle. yeah yeah yes the makers of this show have like a very specific genre of cliche movies and shows that they want to yeah. hit every time it's so mm -hmm. pitch perfect because they use like the model work they do is also done very badly it's sort of like what T tarantino tried to do with death proof uh but fumbled it because he just tried too hard whereas these guys are like yeah it's just it's obviously a model there's obviously a string we don't give a fuck it's just <laughs> it's perfect from start to finish and i love this show so much but I hadn't seen it in so long. And then when I finally found it, I'm like, oh, I got to go back and watch. Because it just makes me laugh on everything. Because it's so over the top. And every time they corner Hitler in the first series, uh, he manages to get away. But they always end the sequence with him uh, in stock footage, like diving through a window head first <laughs> to yeah. get away. Oh, first time you see that. Yeah. You know what? We're ruining this show for so many people. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. So, yeah, it's on Shout Factory TV. Uh, I don't know. You probably find it on their website too, but yeah, I would urge everybody out there to go find it and watch it because it's just—it's the most ridiculous, hilarious thing on TV that I have ever seen. Uh, the only thing that beats it, in my estimation, for sheer absurdity and lunacy, is the Mighty Boosh. Uh, but those would be a couple of my top tier TV viewings. So yeah, so go back and watch Danger Five. And uh, punch some Nazis. It's good stuff. And kill Hitler! Kill Hitler! <laughs> kill Hitler. Your mission is to take the uranium to Atlantis, use this weapon to destroy the Nazi monsters, and for the love of God, damn well kill Hitler. Eric, what's your fresh shit uh, this week? I'm reading a book by Simon Seabag Montefiore, uh, a, a biography on Stalin. 
because I've been just just tripping out on. Okay, everybody says uh, 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 that 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 Trump is Hitler. He's not. He's Stalin. Uh, and but like and, stupid and, Stalin. Like, <laughs> well, no, Stalin was not that smart. He was, he was actually an intellectual. He's a heavy reader, but he, he was not as a, as a leader. He had basically the same issues, the same low self-esteem, um, mm. the same problems. If you, it, it's, it's like he, he sort of bullies away any problem that comes his way until one shows up that he can't bully away for Trump. It's the coronavirus for Stalin. It's, uh, uh, the Nazis. It's like this shit just happens to them. The difference is Stalin then does something about the Nazis and Trump can't do a goddamn thing about the virus. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, I think it's because, uh, where the two diverge is that Stalin actually had the will to make his shit happen. Whereas Trump just, all he wants is self-aggrandizement, and that's just <laughs> that's an end sum game, but, you know. But they do both just sort of like bully their staff and just say, just you know, you do it or you're screwed. Yeah, you know, my will be done. And uh, yeah, I don't think Trump. I I know Trump doesn't know what he's doing, but he does know how to bully people. So uh, anyway, yeah, I'm I'm still reading that, and it's. There's just so much I didn't know about Stalin. And yeah, it's because I watched that movie, The Death of Stalin, and right. I wanted to know more about these people. Uh, wait, wait. But, so yeah. you were interested in a topic and then chose to learn more about it by reading a, 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 a book, you said? Yes. B- yes. A book? The kind of thing that we like to say we, we, we make children do. Yes. Hmm. I bet you there weren't any elf stones in your book, though, dirtbag. <laughs> no, no, there were not. Okay, just, 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 just incredible amounts of torture. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and and I uh, have started watching. Uh, well, I'm almost done. I think with season two of uh, Stranger Things. I did not like the first season. I, I was like I don't I don't get it I don't know why everybody likes this show watch the second season I'm like oh these this this I get you know I think maybe the first season was too much exposition yeah. huh but yeah we're watching the second season and it's like okay now we're rolling now we're cooking it, with gas it, it kind of gels in the second season because you get the extra characters that add a little bit more flavor uh, mm-hmm. and the kids are a little older so it's more fun to watch their shenanigans because it's less Goonies-esque, I guess. Maybe that's it. Uh, and then I enjoyed the third season the best because by that point they had just given up all pretense of being a serious show, and they just had oh, yeah. and they just have fun with it. <laughs> the uh, the monsters in the third season are top tier. Yeah. They're really good. And uh, yeah, <laughs> oh. but the, I think what I liked about the second season was Sean Astin uh, because they do that link to the Goonies, and then. Have you watched the whole? Have you watched the whole second season yet? No, but I've seen him die. Okay, well then you know he Just, dies unless he comes back. Uh, yeah, and so that to me was the best part because they make this very bald <laughs> link to the whole Goonies thing, and then they fucking kill him horribly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yes, you know it's it's funny as a fan of the show Twenty Four, I can tell you Sean Astin showed up in a season of Twenty Four. 
uh, he's in like three or four episodes, and then he dies horribly in that. Yeah. It, 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 but in that one, he dies with uh, um, um, nerve gas agent, nice. and the last shot of him is the same last shot as Stranger Things. He's lying on his back and he's twitching. <laughs> it, I, I gotta wonder if that was intentional. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, but but yeah, I, I I I yeah, I think I'm the last person to like watch Stranger Thing and stranger things and think oh this is kind of neat you know uh, yeah everybody's seen it now yeah. but uh i didn't go nuts for it but i like it you know it's entertaining uh I mean, but it, again it would come out right around halloween and it's a really good halloween and i love that they use the Ste- i mean it's 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 such a small thing right but i love that they use the stephen king font and that the intros yeah. are basically remind you of um you know tales from the dark side in terms of like the music and the tone and it, it just I don't know it, it it definitely puts you in that that Friday night you know n- nobody cares on network television because we assume everybody's not watching so people could put this stuff on TV in the 80s kind of vibe yeah yeah and and there is a great moment where they're describing the the monster the beast uh in in terms of dungeons and dragons right. bad guys that they know from the game and <laughs> I love that they're like, you know, no, it's a metaphor. We're trying to, we're trying to explain what, you know, why it is like it is. And once they get that point across and they explain the, the, the demon or whatever, that's when the sheriff picks up the D and D guides like, okay then. So like, how do we kill it? <laughs> it's, it's a game, dude. Yeah. It's a game. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's like this weird kind of meta thing that says, don't take any of this really seriously yeah and it's totally just geared towards people that are just full-on into the the nostalgia from the pop culture uh yeah and but it never to me graded as much as i expected it would be yeah i mean it's really for that audience but it doesn't feel like you know references for reference sake it's like they understand why the reference works yeah yeah if that makes sense so there you go. So yeah, that's what I'm 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 doing. Brian, what are you doing? Okay. Uh what are you freshly shitting? <laughs> or yes. or freshly shitting on. Let's go that route. Well, okay. I'm gonna freshly shit on I mean it's it okay. A bunch of movies came out this week and I actually haven't seen any of them, but I hear there's some good ones, so hopefully I'll do better next week. But uh Desperation this week. I watched a show, a game show called Don't on AB- it's on Hulu. It's an ABC show hosted uh, by Adam Scott, the guy from Party Down. Yeah. Hey, I'm Adam Scott, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my new ABC family drama, Don't. I'm sorry? Oh, no, I'm being told it's actually a Ryan Reynolds-produced family stunt show. That'll work, too. It's, it's, it's basically a show... Um, where they, they take four people and they put them in, in sort of sadistic situations. So like there was one where a guy has to walk on a treadmill under heat lamps and eat spicy shit to, to make money. And he has to not drink any of the drinks they're putting in front of him. Um, Jesus. And it's the, the main reason that this show is entertaining, other than the fact that the people are just awful, like the, the contestants are just these like people you hate. 
um, is that it's narrated uncredited by Ryan Reynolds. So it's a game show narrated by Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like like out, outtakes from Deadpool. Like the like the tertiary <laughs> background stuff. I mean, like at the end of the show, Deadpool says, Adam will be here next week as he's contractually obligated to be. Ha ha, suck it, Adam. Yeah, that's... <laughs> okay. I wrote that down. That was a quote from... Yeah, anyway, it's stupid. It's brain garbage. It's not very good. But, you know, whatever. It's a show. Moving on. <laughs> um... And did so last, week, last watch... week you watched uh, The Floor is Lava, and now you're watching yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Floor is Lava is slightly better than Don't. Uh, I, oh, I, I think everybody sort of, uh, um, I, there's, there, 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 there's a phrase for it, but everybody sort of rammed through all of their viewing of their streaming shows right. early in COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> now it's like, what's left? What's left? Yeah. So, 1978 reruns of The Price is Right? You're on. Yeah. Let's do it. So, yeah, the new the new Charlize Theron movie is supposed to be good. The new Andy Samberg movie is supposed to be good. I didn't watch either of them. I, I watched um, a movie that was recommended to me by a person I know who actually votes uh, for the Academy Awards and gets all the screeners. It was highly recommended movie called The Vast of Night on Amazon Prime. Ah, I watched the trailer for that and it just... Nothing didn't move um, me. Um, yeah, it did not live up to the hype. Yeah, it's a it's a debut feature from uh this this director named uh, Andrew Patterson. Uh, I think the main things that you get out of it you can get in the first thirty minutes. Um, That's the cutesy cute fifties UFOs are coming. Yes, movie yes. right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a guy at a radio station. It's a small town in the late fifties in New Mexico. And like this 16-year-old girl, who uh, whose mom is like the operator, and she knows how to run the the phone operator thing, and they hear a noise and switchboard. And yeah, it's literally like with the quarter-inch, you know, <laughs> phono plugs. Um, good good setting of mood and tone. Really good uh, acting, especially from uh, Sierra McCormick, who plays the girl. Um, they do two really, really excellent long, long, long takes. Um, the, there's one where this whole scene plays out and it's just a shot really on the girl, um, using the switchboard, talking to various other characters. There's really no room to make a cut. It's just a long take and she nails it. Um, and then there is another really long take that is a very long tracking shot, uh, which is, it, it doesn't have any of those obvious places where they might have made a cut, like you can see in 1917 or, you know, whatever, the Spice Girls video, right? Like Birdman. Yeah, it, if, if they've got a couple of those, I think there is at least one spot where it's pretty clear where there might have been some compositing at least. Um, but it is damn well done. So it's a it's a strong debut from the cinematographer, who is this guy uh, Miguel Ioan Litton Menz. Um, so keep an eye on him, maybe. <laughs> but the movie, if you saw the trailer, eh, not it's yeah. that was that was my exact response when I saw the trailer. <laughs> 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 they they do yeah. they do one fun thing, which is that the whole movie is supposedly an episode of 
basically the Twilight Zone, except it's called Paradox Theater, and they do a whole Twilight Zone <laughs> intro that no. is period accurate and could have been the Twilight Zone. It's just that everything is slightly different, and I don't know. Eh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Unless the thing ends with, like, an alien attack and explosions, don't care. It does not end in explosions. I can guarantee that. Um, I don't think all movies need to end that way. Just the ones that say, hey, aliens might be visiting. Well, then, goddammit, I want to see some aliens visiting, and I want them to have guns. So what does end in explosion (laughs) is the last thing I want to talk about. So... The we're not having E3 summer of video game event things continues. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, we got the new uh, Devolver Digital Direct. Now, have you any interest in any of this stuff, <laughs> first of I, all? I, I don't know what any of this stuff is. A Devolver a, a thing? Is this going to replace my current Devolver? No. So Devolver is a publisher. <laughs> Devolver... Uh, is a is a way you know they they basically fi- help fund and finish indie games and then market them, um, okay. And and so they're you know lean, hungry indie studio thing. Think of them like uh, an A twenty four or something for for video games. Um, but they but they largely trade in violent video games <laughs> or really screwed Ooh. up ones, and the. Like, four years ago, they did their first Devolver Digital, which was during all of the E3 press conferences, back when there were press conferences. And they had this woman get up on a stage, and it was cut with stock footage of an audience appreciating her show. And and she just gets up there and basically berates her customers. And it's a parody of all of the E3 press conferences. Just like, you know, we're taking game marketing to its obvious exploitative future and you stupid fucks will give us your money and <laughs> and eventually she like goes insane and kills people on stage and it's blood soaked and and it and then they've done this for a couple of years now and there's now like lore around the Devolver Digital <laughs> presentation uh it's it's got continuity to it and the thing is that they were really the first ones to go up there and say, we don't need to do a press conference. We're just going to make a video ahead of time. And now all the big game companies are making videos ahead of time. And this one is about, shit, we're doing another Devolver Digital video, and it's played out, and everyone's doing it, and it's just games, 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 and no one can follow it, and what can we do that's different? And they actually have something they can do that's different, but they've gone completely bananas and again are just com- first of all they're getting major guests this time like the president of you know like the head of Xbox shows up in this thing um to to share the screen with a mutant killer alien puppet um <laughs> but they still they managed to get people that you know high profile in a video where they tell the uh, video game buying public just how dumb and manipulable they really are to their faces with foul language. It's amazing. Anyway. Once a year, every year, for years now, you, dumb fuck consumers, 
with more disposable income than common sense have gathered around to listen to actual, powerful people like me tell you what to like, what to get excited about, and most importantly, what to buy. You stare dumbly at your screens, drooling, waiting for instructions. You beg for unsubstantiated leaks, cheaply orchestrated, hands-free demos. You suck down first looks without even the slightest thought for what is a real thing in real life that you can actually have and really interact with. Enough! Enough with the bullshit! You have been had, rooked, gamed, bamboozled, japed. You have been taken for a ride on a bus driven by greed and you have paid for it with your own super hard earned cash. Uh, mm. So yeah, Devolver mm. Digital, respect. Good job, you guys. Keep, keep taking the piss out of E3. Do you think there will ever be an E3 ever again? No. I actually think E3 is <laughs> fucked. Okay. Weren't they already talking about getting rid of E3 up to this? Uh, People were like, why, why, why are we spending all this money on booths? Well, like, so Sony was basically saying that, and when Sony was out, that was a problem. And then, you know, the guys that have been running E3 have basically started trying to turn it into a fan event, which ruins it for both the fans and the press because nobody can get what they want out of it. And it's yeah. just hot and crowded and noisy. And E3 is a giant headache. I think it's dead. I think all of after this year, everybody's going to be like, eh. I mean, what's Sony's the difference right. between this and Comic Con? Is that what they were trying to get a, a Comic Con of games? I mean, it has has kind of been that, except it was a it was an industry only event. So it was like you needed to be a developer or gaming press or something and you would make your appointments and you would get to see demos and you'd get your B-roll and you'd be able to put together your media packages for the whole year. Originally, it was for the buyers from the toy stores and Walmart and things like that to figure out which things they were going to give shelf space to. And now it's like all of that plus let's invite the general public and it's just awful. <laughs> mm. So... As much fun as E3 coverage is, I'm I'm sad to see it go, but I think it's dead. I'm sorry. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> anyway, okay. that's the fresh shit. Fresh goes better. Fresh. Uh, yeah. Why are we doing Back to the Future? Pretty much the same reason we did Red October. I'm like, hey, let's watch this movie again. Yeah. Um, well, to be fair, uh. We're only a week past its 35th birthday, so I mean it that's why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. happy sure. 35th and a whatever. Uh, back to the future. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So Back to the Future is a movie that came out in 1985. It stars Michael J. Fox, and everybody's seen it, and I don't have to describe it, right? <laughs> yes, right. Well, except okay. I did actually uh, run into one person who had never seen it uh, this last week. A colleague from work, oh, bless. and uh, huh. and she's like, she she knew what it was, but she had never actually watched it. I'm like, well, it's on Netflix. Give it a whirl, see what you think. And so she was uh, moderately entertained by the Enterprise, uh, and I did tell her, 
there's two more, but you really don't need to bother. No, so. the the first movie stands on its own. It didn't need sequels. It's yeah. you know it makes the list of people's you know perfect movies list, and it is it really does hold up. It you know yeah. that was that was my wife's impression when she, when we sat down and watched it, and she was like, you know. I thought it was just going to be like, eh, and it was going to be disappointing the way a lot of these older movies are when I rewatch them. But no, that that yeah. movie holds up. Well, yeah, it's it, it, Robert Zemeckis was on quite a run there in the early to mid '80s, uh, which started with Used Cars, which is still one of my favorites from him. But no one would hire him for anything, and so yeah, Used Cars didn't make money. Yeah, and like all his money, all his movies had made money up to that point, and so he and Bob Gale, his co-writer, have been trying to pitch this Back to the Future idea, but none of the studios wanted it. And then he went off and did Romancing the Stone, and everybody went, "Yeah, okay, it's a big hit." So then that's how they got Back to the Future. But then he, after Back to the Future, he went off and did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, so between Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, and Roger Rabbit, that's a that's a three picture arc that is fairly unrivaled by most other filmmakers, so it's quite astonishing to me. Yeah, and I mean, he did go on to do things like Forrest Gump, which, I mean, doesn't hold up maybe, but it was a big deal, and he has pushed the technological bounds of cinema yeah. in a lot of his films, including Roger Rabbit, including this one. So yeah, props to Zemeckis. This movie was a goddamn phenomenon, and it's kind of amazing that it exists. Yes. Um... So, um, I don't know. Do we do we want to talk about it as a movie? I I, I actually kind of want to talk about some of the the ancillary stuff. But uh, well, I will just say this because you brought up that um, a lot of people bandy about that it's like the perfect screenplay and it should be studied and this and that. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. punt over to Eric and get his impression on this because Eric actually among the three of us has actually done. <laughs> <laughs> screenwriting as a green screenwriting has any of the Back to the Future stuff ever cropped up in any of the classes that you ever took for your degree? Absolutely none. Okay. No. Uh, no. Uh, I don't understand. You- yeah, it's sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, do you agree with the assessment that it's the perfect screenplay? I don't know about that. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I think it's a competent screenplay. Yeah. It, 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 it moves through the actions without, you know, yeah. there's no, that's my favorite expression is there's no fat on it. Really? It's like, there's no reason there's not, you know, like that's the thing. There are things in here that don't belong yeah. that, that, you know, there is fat on this is basically, but it's still <laughs> um, a very lean screenplay and yeah, it, it has movement, yeah. you know, it, it, it has a, a, uh, an act structure that you can see it's it's got characters that motivate the action it does you know all the things right here's what um (laughs) it's just kind of i don't know i i i watched it again and i was like yeah it is mildly entertaining it's you know but i think we need that's the best i think it's rightfully deserving of its uh accolades for being one of the prime 80s blockbuster type movies uh yeah because it's entertain. i mean i'm still today entertained and i've seen it dozens of times probably in the last 35 years that's kind of that's kind of what i mean though is that it is entertaining as an 80s movie it is not an all-time 
movie. It's not a movie that you, you watch 20, you know, you even think of 20 or 30 years later and go, yeah, that's why movies are awesome. Uh, you, yeah. you put it in its time. I, yeah. You put it in its bucket. I don't, I don't know, know about that. I mean, that. I think The Wizard of Oz is a movie that like is of its time, but can still be enjoyed by a modern audience. And I think yeah. that's that what I'm talking about. fits into yeah. that. It's like, hey, that's what I'm talking about. Really though. good that is... 80s movie. Here you go. Yeah. Of what I am saying, that is what I am saying, is that uh, when you watch The Wizard of Oz, you don't go, yeah, that is a prime example of the great movies of the 1930s. No, you say that is a great movie. Back to the Future has that caveat of, you know, being a Michael J. Fox 80s movie that is really good for a 1980s Michael J. Fox movie. Well, there are a lot of rabid fans out there for it, though. That's the thing. Yeah, uh, so I don't, I don't get it. But this is the thing that struck me is watching it again for this because I hadn't seen it in a, in a few years. It crops up on cable from time to time, and I'll sort of scroll over and watch a couple minutes mm-hmm. and then move on with my day. But uh, it strikes me as hilarious that it gets touted as this perfect screenplay when literally the entire thing is nothing but exposition uh, to start with. Uh, number mm. two. Marty never earns a damn thing in this entire movie. He like his arc is just there to react to stuff, but he never earns anything. <laughs> so by the end, when he gets the cool car and the great life, because his parents somehow managed to dodge that bullet, uh, he's basically set for life. And again, he didn't really do anything because all he did through the course of the movie was self-preservation. He's like, basically, if I don't yeah. do this, I'm not going to exist. So that's his sole purpose for this entire movie. And it just kills me that that somehow is some sort of prime motivating thing, but the movie itself is just nothing. But here's what we're going to say. It's a bunch of stuff. Oh, and that's going to crop up later, and you're going to remember that we referenced that earlier. And the whole thing is just this series of bits of exposition <laughs> leading to the end, and it makes me laugh yeah, every Well, time. I think... That's- I think the two things, though, from this movie that are very important that come out of that uh, are, uh, uh, one, a white kid invents rock and roll yes. uh, and gives it to the blacks. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and after he does that, uh, well, no, no, before, but before he does that, he tries to fuck his mom. Yeah. I think it's. I think there's some some really big things that come out. It's of this seriously. Movie. It's the it's the <laughs> funniest big budget Hollywood comedy about incest I have ever seen. I will just put it that <laughs> way. So yeah. So um it's what's interesting to me about about that Chris is I actually think that it's it's maybe not a great script. It's a clever concept. Yeah. It's a great movie in spite of the script. It's a great movie because of the things they did that weren't necessarily in the script. Oh, right? Yeah. Like you're you're right. The script is all about exposition and and what that ultimately does is it puts the movie on like a grade school level so it's like Anybody can follow it. We're going to lay it out real clearly, oh, right? Yeah. We are setting this thing up. Look at the lampshade, right? And then yeah. they do it. But but where the movie works is in the reactions, right? Like, it's the facial expressions. It's, it's the look on Leah Thompson's face in pretty much any shot she's in, telling you what's her inner character, you know, her character's inner yeah. monologue. Same thing goes for, for Marty, really. Um, and, and that's where the movie, and, and there's an amazing, uh, shot towards the end where you watch George McFly go from being bullied to, you know, screwing up his courage and punching Biff, right? Like the, the actors really are what make this movie work. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, from start to finish, it's very slick. Uh, and 
I think there's a lot of heart behind it. I mean, you could tell that Zemeckis and Bob Gale wanted to make this movie badly. I mean, they'd been trying to get it made for like four or five years uh, and got rejected, etc. cetera. Uh, and you can really tell when you compare this one to the other two that come uh, four or five years later. Yeah, let's, like there's, let's come back to yeah, that. I want to stick yeah, with the first movie for a minute. Yeah, because there's no heart to those. But this one, you can tell that they really, really wanted to make it. Uh, and they, they put a lot of effort into it. And I love the fact that when they had written the screenplay, it's because Bob Gale basically went to visit his parents one time and he found some old yearbooks of his dad from high school and realized right. his dad was class president. And he's like, oh, man, the, my class president was kind of a dick. I wonder if I'd have I been would, friends yeah. with my dad if I went back in time and <laughs> met him. And that started the thing. And he told that to Bob Zem- Robert Zemeckis. And Robert Zemeckis was like, yeah, and what if his mom was a slut? <laughs> and that was sort of that was the whole germ of the idea. So then they shot this around, and all of the studios were doing those like Porky's uh, type comedies, and mm-hmm. they were like, "No, it's just it's it's kind of milk toast. It's not really risque enough for what we want." And they said, "You should take this to Disney," but Disney had the opposite reaction. Like, "Are you kidding me? He he tries to fuck his mother. You can't make <laughs> this at Disney." And so the whole thing kind of died on the vine for a while until it finally picked up after romance in the stone <laughs> so that really makes me laugh when i think about it that way that was the selling point yeah we can't do this because it doesn't have enough but the other studio is like oh we cannot make this no <laughs> so we 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 talked at one point about uh terry gilliam's brazil on the show go check that out subscribe to the podcast go to our website blah 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 um but uh this movie shares with uh brazil the fact that studio executive Sid Sheinberg almost screws it up a couple different ways. <laughs> Definitely. Um, he did I mean, not he did... like the movie, Sheinberg. <laughs> he suggested changing the title to Spaceman from Pluto. Yeah. Because he, he couldn't understand <laughs> Back I love, to the Future. What the fuck, yeah. really? <laughs> I love, I love the, how they fixed that, though, is that uh, Spielberg sent him a letter and basically said, that's a really funny joke there, Sid. We all had a great laugh at your expense uh, and basically <laughs> shamed him into going, yeah, there's no way we're changing the fucking title. <laughs> but then, Scheinberg, so then they have a test screenings and the test screenings are like through the roof. Like audiences are jumping up and cheering and everyone's like, oh shit, it's a hit. And so Scheinberg cuts the production schedule and, and takes like six weeks off of it. Yeah. And, and, they only had nine and a half weeks from the end of shooting to the release of the film. This is a movie that does have compositing and special effects and yeah. like needs a score. And <laughs> they had yeah, it's, nine and a half weeks of post to get this thing a, into theaters. Yeah. Because he wanted it to fail? No, no because it pushed it yeah, up the, to July 4th because he thought we can make more money if we have it out, out for longer in the summer. Yeah. And so, oh, and so he was right in that regard. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Uh, but yeah, it, I think that's when they brought in Alan Silvestri, who had done work on Romance in the Stone. Mm-hmm. And I guess Spielberg didn't like the music that they had done for Romancing the Stone. And so they told Silvestri, just like make it, you know, just whiz bang, big, big, big. and broad. And and so he does the, the score for this movie. And I had the soundtrack on cassette. And my God, I listen to it t- even today. And I'm like, you just, you can't help but not feel good 
when you hear the, the first bars come in and then everything sort of rolls. I mean, it literally, it's on par with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it's just one of those prime soundtracks from the 80s that I just cannot get away from. I love it. And, and according to Silvestri, when they went to the recording stage with the orchestra, on the day they were about to start tracking the film, Zemeckis hadn't heard anything. The director had no idea what the score was going to be like. They just recorded it. <laughs> hmm. Nice. Well, so it's a damn miracle that any of this stuff holds up as well as it does. I mean, well, not, not only that, but can we talk about the whole Eric Stoltz thing for just a second? Yeah, that's the other that thing. That interests me. Yeah. Right? I mean, Eric Stoltz is fresh off of Mask, where he played the kid with the disfigured face. And because they couldn't get Michael J. Fox because of his family ties schedule, but Sid Sheinberg basically said, if you don't cast this thing now, you're not going to have a movie and we're going to move on. So they, they said, okay, well, fine, we'll do Eric Stoltz. I mean, they'd already looked at, like, John Cusack and uh, a bunch of other actors that were, you know, quote-unquote big. Uh, but they settled on Stoltz. And then I think they got, what, like six weeks of shooting out of him? Something like that? Yeah. Oh, and, and the unluckiest actress in Hollywood, Claudia Wells, had been cast as the girlfriend. Uh, and she had to turn it down because uh, she had made a pilot and her pilot got picked up for like six uh, episodes. So when they were shooting with Eric Stoltz, she had had to turn the role down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they, they were looking at, you know, rough edits with Eric Stoltz in it and the movie wasn't working. They'd, been, they'd shot for five weeks and they're like... Um, well, because he's like a method actor. I mean, he yeah. literally made everybody call him Marty, and they're all like on set rolling their eyes. Yeah, okay, whatever, Marty. <laughs> you know, it's just, come on, man. And so they actually had the unbelievable balls to like pull the plug and say, we're going to reshoot a full five weeks of a movie. Yeah. With that was like an extra Fox. That's like an extra $4 million that they added to the budget to redo all of that. Crazy. Though, if you think about it, that's about the right time to pull the plug because you got to make sure. Yeah, it's really not working. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. We we still have all the money banked to make a movie. Yeah. True. So let's not throw that away. Let's just start over. Yeah. Well, but the whole thing there, you talk about unlucky actors. Uh, mm -hmm. Like when they when they recast and put Michael J. Fox, aka their first choice, into the role. Uh, they had to recast a bunch of other parts. So then Claudia Wells finally gets to come, come back. back because the girl they had was, I think I read it was Melora Hardin, who a lot of people know from The Office, but she was also the girl from the Quincy Punk episode. Uh, <laughs> and she's taller than Michael J. Fox. So they basically said, you're out. Uh, and they brought Claudia mm, Wells back taller in. taller than Michael J. Fox. Yeah. But the dude that they had cast to play Biff ended up playing one of the one of Biff's lackeys, the one that wasn't Billy Wait, Zane really? or Casey Samosco. Yeah. Biff? Yeah. And so they basically brought in that guy when it was Eric Stoltz because they needed someone who could still look imposing to Eric Stoltz, but he wasn't as imposing to Michael J. Fox. So that's when they brought in uh, Wilson to play Tom Biff. <laughs> so like Ugh. everything got recast because oh they hadn't God. trained Michael J. Fox. Kids. Yeah, yeah, no, parents don't let your kids become actors. Yeah. It's you don't want to do it. It's basically <laughs> you it's a temp job where you might end up on the late show. Yeah. 
Maybe. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But it's also, I like that it's Billy Zane's screen debut and he doesn't have any lines. It's good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but it's just a miracle that they got through that. I mean, that just, that, uh, just even thinking about having to go through that where you have to fire somebody in the first six weeks and how to, and like cohese the, the, the staff around that. I mean, that just had to be the most difficult thing that Zemeckis had to do. Well, and then they made everybody work third shift because Michael J. Fox was still filming Family Ties during <laughs> the true. day. It's true. And the whole movie was shot overnight, uh, except for like, you know, a few things. Yeah. Yet, you know, it's, it's, there's plenty of daytime in the movie. Um, yeah. It's just, and I don't remember Michael J. Fox any... is getting like an hour of sleep a night. Like, it, madness. Pure yeah. madness. So, yeah, I don't remember any bad press. Like, remember when Ishtar came out and everybody was talking about what a trouble production it was? It's like, you didn't hear squat about Back to the Future. I don't remember any. Well, there was no one famous in it. <laughs> that's true. At, that's I mean, true. Like, like, there was nobody Warren Beatty famous. Okay, I guess that it, makes you know? sense. That one was like, oh, this is a the next big thing and yeah. it's it's not going well. Yeah. So, and, yeah. But the casting is just pitch perfect, but it's so random and accidental. I mean, they almost didn't get Christopher Lloyd because uh, he was wanting to do a stage play or something, and then he finally agreed. And the, I think this is probably the biggest thing he's ever done. Uh, it's what oh, he's yeah, known. Now it's like he still yeah. pulls out the doc character sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? But so it's- <laughs> I, I saw the original makeup test for him, and he had, like, normal hair. And yeah. I guess it was Christopher Lloyd is like, shouldn't he be more like like Einstein and Stokowski or something like? Yeah. You know, crazy. And I love the, I love the apocryphal uh, anecdote where it's one point twenty one gigawatts. Uh, whereas they were basing that on some physics guy that they had interviewed for the background on the physics, and that's how he pronounced gigawatts. And so they basically <laughs> kept that in the movie. So apparently, either pronunciation is correct but yeah gigawatts just sounds so much goofier i think and it just <laughs> yeah. stuck you know what the hell's a gigawatt <laughs> yeah uh, but, so yeah the and movie then there's number one for like 11 out of 12 weeks when it came out i remember you know living in phoenix and it's the summer of 1986 and back to the future is still playing in theaters <laughs> Yeah, it never it showed for a full year out here. It's yeah, it made a, a crap ton of money. But uh, I, you know, I I guess my problem with the movie really at the time because now I I find it inoffensive enough. But at the time I was like, nah, fuck you, uh, <laughs> because one I was you know one of those skate punk kids, and I was like, wait a minute, okay, the main character has a skateboard and. All he does is like grab onto the back of cars and yeah, you know, and listen to Huey Skitchen. Lewis in the news. That's the power of love. Yeah, yeah, it's like basically he he acts like the skateboard is a really sort of low end replacement for a car. Yeah, you know, and of course in those follow up movies, it's all about the truck he wants to buy. You know, yeah. and, uh, and the so that bothered me, but it also bothered me that you know. Finally, we were getting time travel in movies, yeah. and it was just sort of jokey. Yeah. You know, it's like if you, you, you could not understand Back to the Future if you hadn't already seen The Terminator, which basically explained the paradox of time yeah. travel well, for normal. Well, I think where Back to the Future diverged and actually got it, 
on the more innovative side was the fact that they actually made the call to make the time machine a car so that it was mobile, which you hadn't really mm-hmm. seen much of before. Uh, and I think in early drafts they Unless had it like you'd a. Re- seen Doctor Who. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. but you know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Doctor Who though, when that TARDIS shows up, it it pretty much stays stuck to the yeah, ground. Uh, sure. But this one's an actual like vehicle that they can drive around, et cetera, et cetera. I think early drafts they were going to make it like a, ref- a leadline refrigerator, and they had to zap it through the Nevada test site, and that got scrapped pretty early because. Zemeckis was like, well, I don't want kids to get the idea that they can play in an old refrigerator. You know, the, the and Nevada then, test site stuck around in the script, though, until, like, very late. It was cut for budgetary reasons. Yeah, which is good. Is that why it showed up yes. in uh, 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 Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? <laughs> yep, that's exactly why. Yeah, Spielberg said, oh, wow. I'll, I'll lift it. And we all know that that's the best part about that fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the best warning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, got kids, if you want to get your money back, I think now's the time to consider <laughs> yeah, really. that. It's, it's sort of like shooting for five minutes. Because the rest of this movie is just like right? this. It's like, okay, we've, we've watched five minutes. Are you pulling the e-brake? We can, we can yeah. recast Harrison Ford now. Womp womp. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that they made it a car, but not only a car, but they chose to do it with the DeLorean, which is just perfect for the era. Because they had, mm-hmm. I mean, the DeLorean had ceased to, be in production by that time but it was still relatively known but they're only like 9300 9500 ever made and so it's already pseudo iconic but then the fact mm. that they gussied up with all the doodads for time travel it just becomes this instant iconic thing and it's i don't know if they made a concerted effort to do that or if it just was a happy accident or maybe a little bit of both uh but you can't talk about back to the future without looking at it and seeing that DeLorean in your mind. It just, it's instant. Mm-hmm. You want to know something interesting about the DeLorean? They, uh, uh, they, they were built in Ireland. They, when they went out of business, uh, a company bought up all of their surplus stock. And there is now a company in Texas that has everything you need to build a DeLorean. Ha. So you can still have one now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and you can have replacement parts for the rest of your life yeah. because of this company. And I have often thought, yeah, that might be cool. Except, of course, a DeLorean is overpriced and underpowered. Yeah. But it would be dope to have <laughs> a DeLorean. Shout out to this guy who, who was like 21 at the time at Factor 5. He was one of the IT guys. Uh, he bought like a... a screwed up DeLorean and spent an awful lot of time restoring it. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. But But it's funny to me that they do this, but here's the thing I didn't really register until I watched it this week again, Hmm. is that they never call it anything other than the time machine. It's like they don't give it a name at all in the entire series and that for some reason makes me laugh every single time because it's just so generic it's like we gotta go get the time machine it's well, like they don't have a cute nickname for it correct you know? me if i'm wrong but colloquially at this point delorean is the name of time machines right like if you say the delorean people don't picture a car they picture yeah. that delorean yeah but i mean they don't but they don't make it an explicit thing they just refer to the machine as the time machine and mm-hmm. that that's a very hg wellsy sort of thing to do it just makes me makes me laugh because they tie it into all these other other uh influences that they're using 
for their tail. And it just, it's yeah. just funny. Because everybody else would make a movie, they're like, we got to give it a zingy name. The Time Whammo or something. You know? But they don't. They just call it the Time Machine. So. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But I could see someone, you know, like, having a meeting. What do we call yeah. it? What do we call needs this a, thing? Needs- <laughs> okay, give it a C, a bouncy yeah. C, and let's see which one. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the hopty doodle yeah. ooh the hopty doodle <laughs> but the fact that they've got this car and so then they've got to get the acceleration and the fact that they just randomly situated on 88 miles per hour as their threshold I mean there's nothing there's like no decision making went into it it was just like I'll oh, pick a random number 88 that's good go okay <laughs> and the, here's the thing the that's fact- not perfect about the movie so the first time he's ever going to actually send the time machine back in time Right, he's got a remote. He's got it on a little remote control. He's got the dog in the car. They're in the in the mall parking lot, mm-hmm. and he's he's gonna see if it works by driving it directly at himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As Boy, soon as sure this baby hits, as soon as this baby hits eighty-eight miles an hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. And by that, That's I mean you're gonna get hit oh, by a car. <laughs> wouldn't that be great if they like that? That'd be like a a web short you could make of the alternate timeline of Back to the Future, and do like just show all the footage right up to that moment, and then do this really great CGI car ripping through yeah. old man's <clears throat> legs and yeah. blood and yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta tell you that. That whole sequence at the beginning of the movie when they're at Twin Pines Mall, uh, where you get the DeLorean, the time machine, like the unveiling, the back of the trailer pops down, you hear the noise of the engine, it's all sound designed within an inch of its life. It On the big screen the first time I saw it, it I mean, it kind of gave me some chills because the whole thing is just so perfectly executed. And then they do all the things where you got to get it up here, and that's where all the exposition throws in. But they do it in such a way where it's not just somebody rambling off a bunch of lines from the script. It's just, it feels organic. So I guess maybe that's why the screenplay is always touted. But that whole sequence, just from start to finish, is so well made because you get all the exposition, but then you also get the catalyst for why Marty's got to go back in time. And they play mm-hmm. with it. Gotta get back in yeah. time. <laughs> no. But it's back oh in time. Please don't drive it. Gotta get back in time. But the way they do it, it's it's very organic, which is my problem with the other two, is that it's that's just a commercial decision by the studio, and there's no organic thought behind it any of it yeah and it so just bothers me when you watch them all as a piece let's let's try and dispense with them as as economically as we can like when when you guys are like what's what's the topic and i'm like back to the future but i have no interest in ever watching back to the future three again in my life um mm-hmm. so really let's just talk about the first one so yeah they greenlit <clears> the sequels <throat> and they wrote this huge ass script and they split it into two, but they sh- they shot them back to back. Which, as I understand it, that was pretty novel at the time, right? You didn't really they, do the back to back sequel thing. I think the only time that that had been done before is where they kind of cribbed the idea was when Richard Lester did the Three Musketeers movies back okay. in the mid seventies, and they had done. But that. they didn't know they were making a sequel. Yeah. They basically just took scraps from the yeah. <laughs> from Three Musketeers, and so uh, yeah. But this was the first time that they deliberately did it to save money. 
because it's such done a massive back-to-back thing. Back sequels where that worked and was good. Okay, and uh, maybe Avengers, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, Lord Avengers, of and Lord of the Rings. Okay, but it's rare. But, yeah, after they did this, I think everyone kind of agreed this is not a good idea because <laughs> yeah, until the like, Matrix, like, which was really a bad yeah, idea. Like, but- when they did uh, 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 when Back to the Future Three came out. Uh, Biff was on David Letterman, and Letterman asked him, "Do people really need a, a Back to the Future three? You know, it's yeah. like we're 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 you know we're kind of full, and, and, and of course that's the problem is you don't get to make a decision anymore on if you're going to make the next part because you've already made it. Yeah, and they tried doing that with Superman one and two. Mm-hmm. Also, that's how yeah. Richard Donner got fired." Interesting. So, so yeah, it had been done before. And you know, he is- he also when he made uh 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 wait no Donner. This is we're talking about Richard yeah. Donner. No, no, we're not. Wait, the guy who made uh Castaway, Zemeckis. Yeah, that's that's this right? Yeah, yeah. No, Zemeckis yeah, is, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Because I was gonna say he also had that interesting thing of when he made Castaway, he needed Tom Hanks needed like a year to go from normal guy to cut island castaway and so to keep the crew all together (laughs) he made that horror movie with harrison ford what lies beneath yeah just to keep the crew together yeah which is also a scheduling you know sort of he's 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 interesting with the scheduling he's a a hell of a studio filmmaker i mean damn well, but, this is yeah. what I will say. I don't get about Back to the Futures two and three, and this is why I never want to watch three again. Yeah, I don't understand how, if you are plotting all of this out at the same time, you end up with two movies that are so different in their tone and pacing as these two movies, two and three. Like yeah. two, actually, I loved Back to the Future two. When I watched that in the theater, I freaking thought it was the best thing ever because. It, Do you think that now? I, I I haven't gone back and watched it yet, um, it, so it I'm, just, I'm curious to. But it I, doesn't I don't, hold up. I don't know if it does or not. <laughs> here's the here's the thing, right? The trailer for Back to the Future Two hints at okay, we're going to the future, and it hints at the '80s have gotten screwed up. There are only two shots, but they really are are sort of downplayed that take place back in the first movie in the '50s. So when I saw it in the theater, I didn't see it coming, that they were going to intersect with the first movie. And in terms of a time travel story, I just found the whole thing so fun that they were really just going for it in terms of screwing up timelines and alternate timelines and intersecting with previous movies' timelines. And then the third one, or let's just go make a Western that doesn't do any of that. Yeah, well, I will give him this. Zemeckis had to find the hook to get him interested in making this endeavor. And so the whole idea of making a movie that takes place within the previous movie, but from a different perspective, I think as a filmmaking idea, that's kind of intriguing. And so I think that was why he did it. Uh, But overall, it's kind of the birth of meta. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, that's where we first started talking about, you know, the story behind the story or the story in the story yeah. was that. Oh, oh, we're going to deconstruct the shit we already know. Yeah. So it's it's interesting in that regard, but the movie itself is just obviously a bridge of some kind. 
and they kind of took the playbook out of Star Wars, like, we got to make the second one darker. Uh, but when you watch it, it's just that there's no, uh, there's no joy in it. There's no fun. And the yeah. whole thing is just predicated on we have to get to plot point X so that we can jump to plot point Y so that we can jump to plot. I mean, that's literally all it is, is just a f- leaping from s- plot to plot to plot to plot to kind of further the And thing. I don't think it wanted necessarily to be darker. It, they, they just wanted higher stakes. The first one, the stakes are inherent. And this one, it's like, oh, we got to make shit awful so that there's a reason for people to do things. Yeah. And it ends up darker because you have to start yeah. just below zero. Well, and I, th- I, I, I think that that's what bothered me the most is that there was no charm. I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's well, yeah, that's it, the best way. There's a lot it. of its charm too, because they they start leaning into doing the George Lucas like repetition thing, yeah. and it becomes trite and cliche. Great Scott loses its <laughs> its power. Right? I will tell you, yeah. we watched Back to the Future three last night because uh, I I think I've only seen it like two or three times now. Uh, and my, my wife is like, Jesus Christ, how many times is he going to say Great Scott? Just shut mm-hmm. up. I mean, that's literally, <laughs> that was her response to the whole movie. So, so yeah. You the just scene where shut Marty wakes up your in the mouth. Room yeah. With Leah Thompson and just like, they, yeah. they, they took it too far. Yeah. In terms of the, the repetition <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And I mean, but it, they, but they do throw in that even in the third movie, Biff still gets manure dumped on him. It's like that. That's the tannin yeah. thing. It's like every movie now has a scene where, <laughs> where Biff gets manure dumped all over him. So yeah, and and that's what's so disappointing is like by the end of Back to the Future Two, my brain is popping. My brain is going, okay. So now we've established that there are like you know multiple Martys traveling through time and intersecting with each other. Like they yeah. could have really done like a crazy finale where they had to jump between multiple timelines well, and coordinate shit and you know it's called dude, rick and morty you, i know yeah i was gonna say you had the exact same reaction as justin morland uh and royland and it got made yeah thank you <laughs> i'm glad it did i was hoping that would have been back to the future three it was not yeah uh but yeah, i don't know it's sort of like they look back at the success of the first one and when you watch that the climax of the movie takes place at the enchantment of the sea dance when uh, George McFly finally stands up for himself, but that whole climax is predicated on two very gross things: it's incest and, and date rape. rape. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's so. No, that was that's just straight up rape, rape. That wasn't even yeah. date rape. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is that that's the impetus for the life changing events that occur. Mm-hmm. It's like they looked at the movie and thought, okay, yeah, let's just take that and we'll parlay that into the whole second movie, and uh, it'll be family fun. <laughs> it's like no, that's just awful. It's awful. So I just have a tr- I have trouble with Back to the Future Two on a lot of levels, but mostly Are you because saying it's just eighties comedies did not have a problem with rape, huh? I, that, no, but again, I'm saying that oh yeah, we've just we've we've gone to great lengths to talk about rape in, uh, in yeah eighties movies, movies. Yeah. But, but it's right there front and center in Back to the Future. Like yeah. Biff is Which, definitely a rapist. Yeah. And it really clouds you when you watch the second one because you're like, basically, wh- there's no way that this asshole is a sympathetic character at, in any way, shape, or form for me because he tried to rape Lorraine. It's like, f- fuck this guy. And so, you know, that's why the <laughs> ending of Back to the Future is so satisfying is because he's just a toady 
just mm-hmm. diminished by life and his choices by the end it's like yeah that's what you get you fucking asshole trying to rape a girl to prom <laughs> that's like literally how i feel when i watch the end of back to the future and it's very satisfying to me but the other two it's like no it's just come on so you know mm. so final but, thoughts uh, uh well eric when you brought this up eric pimped that john mulaney bit where he talks about how weird back to the future is as a movie and i think that's the perfect summation of the film I've heard anybody yeah. ever give. I know Back to the Future is a great movie and a hit movie. It's a very weird movie. Two guys had to go in and sell that movie. And it's about a guy named Marty, and he's a, he's a high school student, and he's very lazy. He's always sleeping late. And they were like, okay, okay, is he, is he cool like Ferris Bueller? No. <laughs> but he has a best friend, yeah, you know, who's a, you know, a disgraced, nuclear physicist. <laughs> anyway, so one, so one day, the boy and the scientist, they build a time machine, whoa! Okay, okay, I think I see where this is going now, let me guess. They, they build a time machine and they go back in time and they stop the Kennedy assassination. Ah, no. No, yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay, well what do they do with the time machine? Well, now I'm embarrassed to say. All right, all right, here goes nothing. We thought, we thought, you know, that it would be fun for people if the boy, you know, he went back in time and he he tried to fuck his mom. (laughs) We just, we thought that that would be fun. And then, oh yeah, no, but but don't worry, he doesn't doesn't get to fuck the mom because this family friend named Biff shows up and he tries to rape the mom, you know, in front of the son. And then the dad, he has to beat the rapist off of her. And we're also going to say that a white man wrote Johnny Be Good, so we're going to take that away from them. Because when you watch it, you're literally like, don't ever think twice about this 60-year-old man hanging around with a 17-year-old kid. <laughs> but like, nobody gives it a second thought until you start scrutinizing, like, why the fuck is he hanging out with him? I mean, it's just, how is this even normal? I mean, it just doesn't make a lick of sense. So everything that the movie is predicated on. Because he remembered Marty traveling back in time 30 years earlier. And so once Marty showed up in the real world, he's like, I've got to keep an eye on this kid or I'm going to break the timeline. Yeah, but in the the logic of the film, that timeline doesn't happen until after they go back in time. So that whole thing is not set until Marty goes back to 1955. So it, so at some point in, mm-hmm. in history, at the start of Back to the Future, they're just hanging out and there's no time travel element involved. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> there's no way to get around it. So They were cooking meth. Yeah, basically. See, I'd get into pedantic time travel argument with you, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Good, because yeah. I don't have the energy. I'd say, th- yeah, I would say this is the height of Robert Zemeckis because... For me, everything he does after this is convoluted and annoying. Yeah. He, he, he kind of like has access to filmmaking technology that lets him do stuff. Yeah. And he comes up with ideas to use it, but the, I, the use of the idea is more important than any story. I agree. Yeah. This uh, is look at Beowulf. Forrest Gump. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, Beowulf. Yeah, exactly. And But maybe the most saddening one for me was um uh, oh god oh god it just it just just jumped right out of my head death becomes um 
uh, Denzel Washington, oh, airline pilot. Yeah. Uh, fly pilot. Flight. Plane. And fuck. Um, yeah, that movie. Flight. Thank you. Where it has this heavy effects opening um, with the crash of the plane. And you realize the only reason he took this movie was to shoot that and then when he did somebody yeah. told him there's another 80 pages of stuff yeah. and he went oh and so you get this insanely dry <laughs> film and this this fun sort of plane crash shit in the opening which is the movie he actually wanted to make yeah it's uh, and, and you go ah i mean that's so sad i mean i i will <laughs> give him this that because he and bob gale did a string of movies that are varying in quality. Uh, used Car is probably the best one of the pre-Back so to the Future. I love that movie, so and it's so funny. funny. Yeah, But they also are the guys that wrote the script for 1941, which is just a hard, hard slog. And so they're yeah. inconsistent. But this is the one you can tell that they spent a lot of time on and tweaked and changed and updated and just managed to get just right i don't think you have many movies like back to the future where that's the case where the the script has basically uh hibernated and marinated and gotten to the point where it's what people consider perfect that is not normal by any stretch in hollywood and so i think it's an anomaly rather than the norm and so i think that's why the movie itself has managed to last as long as it has that's my two cents. It's it's a prototypical big popcorn movie. Uh, it's it's fun for everybody. It's you know it's not profound in any way. It's just you know a couple hours of good old fashioned movie fun times. Yeah, it's a movie that was so big that if you haven't seen it by now, nothing we say is going to get <laughs> you to fucking see it. Yeah, it's it's also the movie where <laughs> we're just happy you're listening to this for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah. Well, it's also the movie that had the biggest theme song of the year, and they didn't use no, they did Power of Love. They didn't use the yeah, Power of Love was the first gold record for who listen to news, and every time they made the the radio sessions played this and make sure you mention the title of the fucking movie that it's part of or no one's gonna have any fucking clue <laughs> that's perfect marketing perfect i love it that's the power of love all right so uh yeah if you're if you're young and you haven't seen back to the future why don't you go check it out and then you can tell us what you thought you could reach out yeah. to us you can hit us up on twitter we're at mag huge or you know join our facebook page and then you podcast uh, subscribe to the show. We take suggestions. We want to yeah. hear what you would like to hear about. We'll 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 do a show about any goddamn fool thing that you tell us to do. Just tell us to do it. We will do it. Are you we, telling? We've done it in the past. Are you telling me yeah. that you built a podcast out of a DeLorean? <laughs> it's the stainless steel in it, and we can put a podcast out of the future. You want to tell us about that? Hit us up on our Gmail, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and you can find old episodes of the show at maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. But please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends in the social media feeds, and we'll see you next week. Great. And Scott. don't have sex with your mother. Yeah. Seriously. Ever. <laughs> <laughs>